0: Welcome to the Garden of Belonging, a podcast that explores how we can more fully belong to ourselves. I'm your host, Kim K. Gray, a writer, life coach, homeschooling mom, and fellow human on this journey. Here in the Garden of Belonging, all of us belong. Here we tend to all those parts we've hidden in hopes of fitting in, bringing forth the beauty that is our fullest selves. Let us journey together to more compassion for who we truly are and more courage to be that person. Today, I'm sharing with you a conversation with Kelsey Meck. Kelsey is a registered clinical counselor and a mentor to creative humans and business owners. Through her one-on-one work and online programs, Kelsey supports women to connect to their intuition, live in integrity with their most authentic selves, and emotionally heal from old wounds and toxic messaging. Kelsey offers an online membership community, Wellspring, as well as other online courses and programs. She's also deeply committed to speaking about the need to let go of our collective social conditioning and move toward deep self acceptance through her writing and podcast, The Unravelled Life. Super excited to share this with you. I've been a follow of Kelsey for a while. I'm also in her Wellspring groups. We do talk about wellspring. We talk a lot about this like social conditioning in the culture um, around us that hinders our ability to bloom bravely um just a really lovely conversation Uh, I hope you enjoy it hi Kelsey welcome to the garden of belonging podcast
1: hi Kim thank you so much for having me
0: so this season I chose the theme of bloom bravely Mm -hmm. so I'm curious when I say those words like what just comes up for you how does this show up in your life
1: first of all I love this theme so good um What does blooming bravely mean to me? I mean, I think it's something that I try and integrate in a way into my life every day in the smallest practices from, you know, the little choices I make about how I'm going to prioritize my own wellness or pleasure or care throughout the day, which in our capitalist society sometimes feels like it requires bravery to me. Mm -hmm. So those like little daily pieces, but also bigger picture. I mean, I love how Brené Brown talks about bravery and courage. And I think she talks about, she uses the word courage as being speaking openly and vulnerably sharing oneself. And for me, I think that's really been at the core of like the big picture of how I bloom bravely Um, and what it means to me is really being honest and generous with my own stories and my authentic experience. that's a big part of my life. I do a lot of sharing. <laughs> um, I think it also means like leaning, leaning into fear. This is something I'm really learning recently and really recognizing that in my own life, I mean, sometimes there is fear that is there absolutely to keep us safe and to warn us of real danger, 100%. And that's really important fear to listen to. But I think for me, so much fear, scarcity, um, anxiety comes up when I'm on the right track, when I'm like Mm. doing the thing that is actually really inspiring or, um, is sort of the next step to my expansion or pivot or whatever it might be. I'm really trying to like embrace fear in that sense is like an indicator that actually things are going right because for so long I've been like, I feel fear. So this is wrong. Um, so I think for me, that's like my current work of Blooming Bravely is like leaning into the fear and letting fear just be there um, and doing the stuff anyway. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You said, first off, honest, being honest and generous with yourself basically. Mm-hmm. And that just like struck me. There was something about that generous, which I love because it's really that commitment to sharing yourself and giving the gift of yourself to other people um so I just love how you captured that there because I think that sometimes we we forget what a gift our presence can be for other people and um the people that really want to see us see us fully and how we can really step into that and show up for that so yeah Mm -hmm. thanks for that
1: Yeah. Somehow that has become a huge part of the work that I do in the world is just experiencing things, trying things, teaching what I'm most needing to learn, sharing it, you know, with the world. I don't, I don't really know how I got here, but that's where I'm, that's where I've landed. um, Yeah. I'm digging it.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So was there a time in your life where you felt like you had to hide part of yourself? And if so, what was that like? And what did, what helped you really break through to express yourself more fully? Mm
1: -hmm. This is such an important question. Um, It's funny with things like this. I usually try because I'm a therapist to like track back to early childhood as much as possible. But what's coming up for me is actually on this theme of like sharing about ourselves, maybe because we're talking about it, that's what's popping into my mind. Um, I struggled a lot throughout primarily once I finished high school into kind of my early undergrad with Quite debilitating mental health, um, really intense anxiety, very bad panic attacks to the point that I would almost experience like blackouts where I just wasn't really aware of myself anymore, lots of dissociation of that nature because I had no idea how to be with my emotional experience and my fear and anxiety. And I remember this time that I wrote a, I was just playing around with blogging back in my, early twenties, I guess. And I remember this time I wrote a blog about my experiences with mental health. And um, I love my mother. She's wonderfully supportive most of the time. But in this instance, I remember her own fear reaction being, Mm. you can't post this on the internet because people might find out. And this is my interpretation of that was, this is something to be ashamed of. And so I really started to hide that part of me and pretend that everything was okay. And I had my shit together, which I certainly do not. Mm -hmm. and did not then. Um, And then, you know, many years later, sort of a career change um, or two, and I wound up wanting to become a therapist. And again, the narrative that I heard going into that program, into my master's in counseling psychology was very much like, you should have it all together if you're going to support other people. Mm. As I kind of got further into that training and things became more nuanced, that broke down. And I've like now been exposed to so many people in this field who do not think that way at all. But in my early stages, I remember thinking like, yeah, I need to be able to put on this face and pretend I'm fine even when I'm not. And that's how I have to serve and show up in the world. And so, I mean, maybe that's a part of why I'm like so unabashedly honest about everything now because I'm like desperately trying to break that down and I've swung so far the other way. But I think that's what we're told so much is you know there's this. We're asked how we are and we say we're fine because we've learned you know I we shouldn't say I mean I even did that at the beginning of this call right and you signed on and said how are you and I was like good how are you and you said you were a bit tired if that's okay for me to share and I was like wait I'm tired too why didn't I say that, (laughs) Um, so yeah I think I think that for me is part of the blooming bravely practice is like constantly noticing the things I the ways I abandon myself to, to keep other people comfortable or to even um, yeah, mostly it's about keeping other people comfortable, I think. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think Mm -hmm. it's interesting you sharing about the going into a helping profession and feeling like you have to have it all together and you have to look like you're you're like in control. I think of that sometimes too, as, you know, I used to manage people in my previous Mm. life and, um, you have that same sort of feeling of like, I need to feel like I know all the things and I have everything covered so that I can then lead these other people. Um, but there's a lot to be said for being the kind of leader who is shows up with that vulnerability. I mean, Brené Brown again, right? <laughs> she mm-hmm. talks a lot about that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing that.
1: Yeah, and I think there's ways we can do that regardless of our role, right? I mean, for me this comes up as a helper, for you as someone who managed other people. Like ha- wherever we're showing up as a parent, as, you know, any profession, there is a space to I think break down that barrier and it's going to look different obviously in the different roles we inhabit, but Um, I mean, as I've been starting to dive into this work deeper, one of the things I'm really interested in learning about is how the broader systems of capitalism and patriarchy and colonialism play a role in all of this and like funnel down to these individual ways that we show up and express ourselves or don't express ourselves and how our day-to-day can be the first step in changing and shifting those broader systems, right? So I think those big systems have told us we shouldn't be honest and express because if we do, we'd all know we're like tired and burnt out and done with it. <laughs> and that would be a danger to those systems, right? So we're like, no. no, everything's fine. I'm good. I can handle it all. And yet I think it's like an, a radical act to just be honest and to be brave and to name what is. Um, and that that's helpful and permission giving to everyone because yeah. then we make people feel less alone.
0: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that we're diving right into what the next thing I want to talk about is what are those things that get in the way of us blooming into our full selves mm-hmm. and you're bringing up like all these systems and I think that that is so true because we get all these messages whether it's from systems or from our families that um, who we are is not enough or you know being different is not okay mm-hmm. and so we need to Bring make ourselves small really and especially if for those of us socialized as women
1: yeah
0: keep ourselves small so that we don't rock the boat or you know stand out in some way that's dangerous um yeah there's just that that message that it's not safe it's not safe or it's not welcome to be who you are yeah yeah and
1: um I mean, like you said, so much of that comes from, from childhood, from family of origin, from how we were raised, and it doesn't necessarily, I think some people assume that, you know, if they had a relatively stable and supportive home environment, that they can't possibly have learned those kinds of things. But for kids, you know, it's just such subtle, nuanced um, messages or moments that we like latch onto when we're growing up and trying to form our sense of self in the world. It doesn't, you don't necessarily need to have experienced like intense childhood trauma or neglect to have sort of internalized some of these messages that like, oh, maybe I shouldn't share my feelings or, you know, I shouldn't want certain things. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, I mean, I remember as I have so many messages myself around money, money is like my biggest I fight with money and with my perceptions around money in my head every single day. And it drives me nuts. Um, I shouldn't use that word. Sorry. It drives me, makes me ridiculously. I don't know. Um, but you know, I, I, I grew up in a household that we, we were like probably upper middle class. We always had everything we needed. And yet, because my parents were very, very frugal and talked about wanting to save and needing to find discounts and ooh, maybe not getting the expensive ice cream cone, let's just no waffle cones for you, right? Like just get the basic normal one because it's 75 cents cheaper. I have internalized so much scarcity around money and I question every financial decision I make with a fine tooth comb because even though I had enough growing up and even though my parents were generally quite supportive and loving, there were these little insidious messages that got planted. And those have formed the foundation of my worldview about money. And so I think it's just really interesting and important for us to start to examine, like, they don't have to be big, right? But what are those tendrils that reach back into our, our childhood or teenage years or into other the other spheres we talked about? What are the stories we've learned that aren't actually really things we want to believe anymore, but we're just kind of narratives we internalized because they were what we were exposed to. hmm
0: yeah. As you're talking about that, I was just thinking about sort of the lineage that happens there. You know, like I, I, I got curious, like, did your parents grow up in a situation where mm-hmm. there was less money? Mm-hmm. And so even though they had money they mm-hmm. they were still in this mindset of, Absolutely. cause I, cause I feel myself falling into that. Like we are very comfortable And yet I still have a lot of those sign of kind of like saving and being careful about money, things that have stayed with me from when I didn't have as much money, you know? (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, you bring up such an important piece, which is the like ancestral piece, um, both in terms of how we're directly impacted by like, obviously we're impacted by how our parents were raised, but even going back further um, in terms of how ancestral trauma works, Right. We can actually still carry stories, reactions to trauma from generations past. And so that's something that's been really interesting for me too, to explore is like, okay, yeah, my like grandparents and great grandparents lived in very, um, weren't impoverished conditions and had so many concerns around money and access to food. So it actually makes so much sense that I struggle with those things too, because within my nervous system some of those fear responses are still going to be encoded and present for me even if i've always had access to food and enough so i think i mean that has like unraveling those stories and having an understanding of that has been so helpful for me in being able to bloom bravely because i've i've learned to have more self-compassion and when i can be compassionate with myself and accept like okay yeah this is this is why this is the way it is this is why this is showing up for me it makes it so much easier to like take the leap and to show up in the world somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I hear a lot of kind of like, like curiosity and evaluation, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, where does this come from? And, you know, is it still true? You know, how do I want to, how do I want to shift my mindset about this? You know, what's Mm -hmm. the new, the new story that I want (laughs) to write about this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, some of the ways that we perpetuate these systems and keep them going is by holding on to those stories, yes. you know, and continuing those stories. And as you were saying earlier, like one of the ways that we can help shift these systems is just by starting with our own stories mm-hmm. and saying like, I'm not going to believe this anymore that like pull myself up by my bootstraps and work myself to death in order to be enough. And, you know, whatever. That's an example.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also just to honor that, like the reasons we're continuing to be stuck in these stories. Um, I mean, it makes so much sense, right? They're what we've learned. It's really hard to shift this stuff mm-hmm. and it's safe and familiar in a way, right? Like mm-hmm. stepping outside of that, for me, stepping outside, like stepping into a place of a little more trust, even just a little bit more trust with, with around money. Cause I'll, I'll use that example since I brought it up already is deeply uncomfortable and like terrifying, right? i not constantly planning and not looking at spreadsheets of my income and outcome and expenses every single day is uncomfortable. And yet I shift that story by doing it differently and by practicing trusting and practicing the doing the things I wanna do regardless of how much money they earn or whatever it might be. And I know that comes from like a place of vast privilege to be able to even engage in those conversations, but um it's okay that we're stuck in these stories. We have mm-hmm. to have compassion for the reasons that we are because it's uncomfortable to step into the unknown and our society doesn't support us in doing that. Like, right. I mean, in every part of our lives, like I've been thinking about this recently. i was reading a book right now called, I forget the author's name, but it's called The Refusal to Work. And it's basically about history of capitalism and work culture and like alternative alternative approaches or people who are sort of stepping outside of of traditional work. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's been so interesting to learn about like what work means, how we define work and why so many of us, there's been so much, uh, so many narratives in the evolution of capitalism, the evolution of our work culture about pleasure or fun or play kind of being like demonized or seen as worthless things. Mm -hmm. And that's just like something someone told us, you know, as this was all evolving in our current system um, before capitalism, like there probably was more room for that. And yet here we are like being resistant to our own pleasure because we've also bought into this system that like work is better or work is more important or more value. And like, why, why (laughs) is work more important than play or fun? Yeah. I don't have the answers. I'm like very much trying to figure that out. But the questioning for me is like starting to clear out the cobwebs enough so I can go like, Oh, maybe brave doesn't look like me excelling in the way I've been taught. Maybe brave looks like me trying to do something different from the systems that are in place, even if it's hard and uncomfortable. But that's like way more in my integrity.
0: Mm-hmm. And that takes a ton of courage, right? because you're you're pushing up against a lot of stories and a lot of systems that are in place. And um, so what do you think? what do we need to be able to step into that bravery? Like what support systems mm-hmm. can we put into place to make that possible? Because if we are we feel like we're like all alone in this, right? That just makes it a million times harder.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, those support systems are vital. And I think for me, this is also something that's totally still evolving, but it looks like really filtering the both the content and the people that I take in Mm-hmm. um and being really careful about what and intentional about what messages i want to be filling my life with because up until a year ago two years ago like this is pretty new territory for me i was very much like bought into hustle culture and like this super capitalist version of what success looks like and i wanted that and i like worked multiple jobs at the same time and pushed myself and i thought that was great and like glorified that And so it's really been an interesting process of like shifting out of that mindset. Um, And I think it's been critical for me to recognize that for, you know, almost three decades, most of the messages I've received have been about like about that, right. In favor of that. And so the biggest support has been in just like really filtering and being intentional about filling my life and my mind with different stories, with different options, with, people who are living their lives differently with people who are curious about doing things differently, even if they're not doing it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So both in terms of like who I follow on social media, I'm really intentional about that, who I um, have relationships and friendships with. There's been a natural like sifting that has happened there as I've made these shifts because it doesn't help me to walk into a dinner party with a bunch of people who are going to start questioning my choices around only working 25 to 30 hours a week and having more time for my life, right? Like that's just not a supportive environment for me because this feels scary and new still. Um, And like, I can't trust it. So I don't need someone else questioning it for me. I'm doing that plenty myself. Um, So I think, yeah, being really intentional about like who we invite in or who we share these things with when we're trying to make these shifts um, and really cultivating communities of support for that. Um, I mean, that's the biggest thing, right, is like having people, having people who can be along for the ride with us.
0: Yeah, totally. So speaking of communities, you have a community. Yeah. Yes. Can you tell us about Wellspring and like the ways that it supports women to be their full selves?
1: Sure. Um, Wellspring, I might be biased, but it's definitely (laughs) my favorite place on the internet right now. (laughs) Um, But it's just, yeah, I mean, it's this lovely, nourishing, supportive online community for women who are really wanting, like you said, Kim, to kind of step into connecting with their longing, connecting with ways of being that maybe are a little bit outside of the norm and feeling both emotionally well, but also like good and lit up and able to express their authentic selves. And, um, I mean, we do a bunch of cool stuff there. You already know about this. (laughs) But we have lots of calls uh, where we dive deeply into these topics. Every month, we sort of explore a new theme. Um, There's a beautiful community where folks can connect all of the time. We've got, like I said, the calls, some of them are led by me. Some, like, members are starting to step up and lead calls, um, which is so cool to see. I provide prompts every week to, like, dive deeply into the weekly theme, We've started having some guests come in and join us to offer teachings. It's just, I mean, it's been as like healing of a space for me, I think, as anyone else there, (laughs) because it's just, it's so unique to have a a group of people who are all willing to like engage in these conversations that you and I are having right now, Kim, and to support one another and like stepping into this in a new way, stepping into that act of blooming bravely, Um, especially on the internet, which I feel like can sometimes be a tricky place Mm -hmm. to navigate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's so important to have that kind of space. You know, I think of um, recently I was uh, just, you know, watching everything bloom outside, you know, Mm -hmm. and just seeing seeing all that happening. And, you know, you can see like the little tips of green coming on the evergreen trees of the new growth. And while one day it was like super windy and the wind blew a bunch of those like new growth off, And they were just like laying on the ground and it just got me thinking about like how we need to be careful and create containers to like protect that new growth
1: because, you
0: know, in ourselves, because, you know, when we have these containers where we can practice and where we can feel encouraged and supported, it just helps build our trust, right? That we can then take that Mm -hmm. into a bigger space that maybe it doesn't feel as you know, as safe and comfortable that where we can feel a little bit more vulnerable or a little bit more um, discomfort in that stretch. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think like places like Wellspring are so important for for just building those containers for us to like play in and practice Mm -hmm. and build Mm -hmm. that trust.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm, I love that you call it a container for practice in that way because yeah I think that's exactly what it is and I mean that's what I try and do and what I've learned to do in like my therapy work too right it's just in a one-on-one space like how can we use that as an opportunity to to try to do things differently than we maybe have in other relationships right and I think so much of this comes down to practice like practice is everything I think when we talk about these things we want this like easy fix or like some Mm -hmm. mindset shift I can make to suddenly, you know, be grounded in this new sense of like peace and calm with stepping outside of the system or whatever it is you're trying to do. And the answer always comes back to you is, is practice. Like just every single day, what are the small ways I can show up for myself or show up for whatever I'm trying to create um, what are the ways I can engage differently with media or with this person, or how can I practice setting boundaries? Like it, the way we shift this, there's no like finite moment. It's just practicing and practicing and practicing until one day we realize, oh, something's different about how I'm mm-hmm. responding or, mm-hmm. oh, I feel differently about this. What, when did that happen? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You don't really notice. It's just like, yeah. Yeah, one day it's different. There's a shift. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. And I think that word practice is beautiful because it I feel like it allows for for play and for mistakes and you know I think sometimes we we want this like which is the way, right? Like yes. okay, so how should I, you know, as an example with your money thing, like what should be my new story about money? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have I have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. But with practice you can like, well, maybe it's this. And you can try that and you can practice that. And then you can feel into like whether that works or not. And maybe then there's another direction that you want to try um, and just kind of work through at your own pace Mm -hmm. and not feel like, you know, I have to choose a thing and stick that way forever. And, or like, I have to make sure I pick the right thing. Mm -hmm. It's just try.
1: Yeah. Yeah, which again, is another story. We've been taught many of us anyway, by these broader systems, or perhaps by our families. Um, and to be fair, in past generations, there was, a, I think, more normalcy around like having one sort of career or role for a long, long period of time in your life. Yep. But like, we can change and pivot, right? We can say yes, and then say no, we can start something and then be like, oh, not for me. I mean, my entire evolution of my business has been a series of changes and pivots until I wind up somewhere that feels good for like, I don't know, three months, six months, maybe a year. And then I'm like, okay, time (laughs) to change and pivot a bunch again and figure out what's next. And having compassion, and like grace and the flexibility to let ourselves be in that and recognize that we may always be in that. And that's not a bad thing or us doing it wrong or failing. That's like a beautiful, exciting way of exploring this thing we call life and like doing so um with more openness and curiosity Mm. right which I think are some of the most important kind of approaches we can bring to both exploring ourselves and showing up in the world in a brave way
0: yeah why do you think so much bravery is required and like what what other kinds of like tools and practices do you think are good for really fostering that that courage that bravery
1: Yeah. I mean, we need to know why we're being brave. Mm. So we need to be deeply connected to ourselves and our, I mean, call it what you want, like intuition, sort of um, desire, sense of inner knowing, emotions, even like we need to know who we are enough to know what the brave thing is.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so
1: I think that's often where we need to start if we're like, okay, I want to bloom bravely but like what would that look like (laughs) right uh we start by reconnecting to ourselves because so much of what these broader systems capitalism patriarchy have done is really disconnected us from ourselves right they've they've taught us to like disconnect our mind from our body to just like show up every day do the grind um be a good parent be a good role model play all the roles and kind of leave ourselves behind and many of us maybe grew up in families where, like we talked about, that was also emphasized, right? Maybe there was neglect or just kind of a general like, ah, what you want doesn't really matter. Or, I'm not excited about your needs. Um, so there's a lot of places where we've learned it's not safe or it's just not desirable to know what we want. Mm. And so beginning to rebuild a relationship with ourselves where we prioritize figuring out what we really desire, where we like show up every day and go, okay, what do I need right now? What do I want to do today? What's one thing that would make me happy today? And just getting into that practice of like inquiring constantly with what needs to shift. I mean, I do this, I, I do this still all the time. Like, so in the mornings right now, I do morning pages. Um, so I write a couple of pages free written and just to kind of clear the clutter. And then at the end of those, every single day, I write three things I would like to do. And these are not to-do lists. These are not things I have to do. These are genuinely things that I would enjoy. I do not always get to all three things, but it's remarkable still how hard it is sometimes for me to even identify three things I would like to do because I'm so ingrained to not prioritize desire,
0: right? Mm, Yeah.
1: But I practice every day. I'm like, okay, I have to think of three things I would like to do before I like go on to the next thing and I try and do those things where I can. Um, But I think it's, yeah, this practice of like continuously showing up for ourselves and continuously wondering like, how could this day have gone better, right? I do this too. At the end of a week, I kind of look back on my week and I'm like, okay, what do I need to readjust and shift for that to feel better for me? Um, And obviously I have a lot of flexibility in my work, so I can kind of play with that more than a lot of people can. But even just these shifts can be subtle, right? It can be like, okay, I need to take a a minute in the car before I come home from work to just breathe before I enter into the house and like see the kids, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just about really prioritizing, constantly being in this process of curiosity with your own needs, your own desire, your own intuition, your own emotions, right? And always checking in and treating yourself like you would another person who you care deeply about, Mm -hmm. right? Like you ask your kids all the time, what do you need? What do you want to do for fun, right? right. Do you ever ask yourself that? And not you, Kim, but like the general you. you yes. Know? <laughs> um, so that's a huge part of it because we need that foundation to then be able to do the brave things and act on that.
0: Yeah. How do you prioritize those like needs and desires when there's that like running list of shoulds? and to do's, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of feel like our culture is, there's sort of this like always running to do list of things that we haven't got done that we need to get done, mm-hmm. right? You know, I often see my husband get to the weekend and be like, oh, there's like 80 things I have to like squeeze into this weekend, right? right. The law needs to be cut and the this and the that and the whatever. You know, and I wonder like, how do we make space for the pleasure Cause that feels like n- not a priority, right? Because yeah. like to the to-do list and the shoulds. <laughs> so like, how do we make space for that? Mm-hmm. And why should we make space for that mm-hmm. in lieu of some of those, like the, you know, the never ending to-do list?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the million dollar question, <laughs> but I think a part of it is what you asked which is that the to-do list is always going to be there right like we will never escape the never-ending to-do list in this society probably um most of us anyway and so if it's always going to be there and it's always going to have 83 items on it no matter how many items we complete why why bother always prioritizing that um and then it's it comes back to the practice right like i am very lucky in that my partner is incredibly Good at encouraging me to do less and to like let Mm -hmm. things go in terms of those kinds of tasks. Um, So I do have that sort of source of external encouragement, but it's still so hard. And I think for me, it's just been sort of gathering evidence that it will be okay if I don't do that thing right now and starting to prove to myself that I will not die if the laundry does not get done every single Friday. And I will not perish if we don't have a perfect meal plan one week. And I've actually started to like intentionally practice not doing the things that I most think I need to do just to (laughs) prove to myself that I don't have to do them. Yeah. Um, Or, you know, practicing delegating. Like I um, have been asking Dexter, my partner to sort of take on certain things here and there that actually make me so deeply uncomfortable to let him do. Like we were going on a camping trip recently um, where we were just sleeping in our car and hiding from the world because COVID. But I let him pack the car. Oh my gosh. Because um, <laughs> I just wanted to control every piece of that. And I literally was sitting there as he was packing being like, it's okay if we don't have oatmeal. It's okay if he forgets the oatmeal. We don't need oatmeal. Um, you know, and we packed <laughs> and it wasn't perfect and we had the oatmeal, but we're missing a couple other things. And it was fine. We had a great trip. And so there I had some evidence that like, okay, I can let that go, at least sometimes. So yeah, kind of like almost <laughs> forcing those situations where we have to practice it, right?
0: Yeah, it, it, again, we're like coming back to this idea of practice and building evidence, mm-hmm. right? Like, I love that because, and I've done some of the same things, like especially as a mom, I found like, I just couldn't do all the things, right? The house could not be cl- as clean and the children could not be as taken care of you know, if I tried to do it all, it just yeah. wouldn't fit, you know, or I would never sleep. And so I did the same thing where I just practiced like, what if I don't vacuum for two weeks? Mm-hmm. The world does not end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in fact, I got some encouragement because a mom friend walked in the house and saw the mess, the mess, right? Yeah. And said like, thank you mm. because she felt less alone in her inability to keep the house quote in order, you know, with children. And so then from then on, I was like, I, this is a service I'm doing my messy house. It's (laughs) a service for other parents. Oh, I love that so much.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, um, I mean, it reminds me of something too, that's important in this, which is like having an understanding of what we actually value Mm -hmm. because yeah, we have all these to-do lists, but like, what is the alternative list? For me, the alternative list is my values. It's that I value love and a deep connection with my partner. I value play and fun and having enough space in my brain to be present for like small, joyful moments. I value my health and my energy and, um, you know, prioritizing wellness, whatever that means for me and so on and so forth. So When I have that list of what I value available, it also makes it easier to counter the to-do list because I can be like, which one's more important to me, the laundry or like having a lovely time at the beach with my dog and my partner. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's such a good point because those values will help you evaluate, even evaluate that to-do list because you can look at it and weigh it against your values and go like, where do things land? You know, and all power to the person who feels like actually having a really clean and put together house is a value for them. Totally. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. It is not for me. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. It can't be. <laughs> right. And there, so there can be overlap too, right? Like what is on your to-do list can also be deeply of value to you. But when you are clear on that, you can make those choices intentionally instead of yeah. having the to-do list decide for you.
0: Yes. It's like a conscious choice. Yeah, as opposed to just sort of following along with that conditioning and those stories that have always been going on.
1: Yeah. And that's really what all of this is about. I mean, this entire conversation comes back to practice and compassion, but it also comes back to intentionality and like being conscious and aware, right? Like the more we can just slow down enough to move through the world with a bit more intention, a bit more like, am I choosing this For me or for someone else, for me or because I was told, for me or like whatever. Um, When we bring that intention to everything, things start to shift without us really having to do that much more, right? There's less like action necessarily needed sometimes in in living a brave life and more just like getting really curious, getting really intentional, being really honest with ourselves, which is often the scariest stuff to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. How would you respond to the people that would say that it's selfish?
1: Mm. Yeah, this is a common one that comes up for sure. Um, First of all, I mean, I wanna acknowledge that at least myself, I'm speaking to this as um, a cis white woman with a lot of privilege in many ways. I'm able-bodied, I have class privilege, I have financial privilege. Um, I'm a settler to this land from European heritage. Um, So there are certainly a million ways in which it is very much easier for me to create these shifts in my life. And for some people, uh, there may be caretaking that is very real and necessary and means they need to prioritize the needs of others. And in some cases, um, cannot prioritize their own needs, or there may be jobs that need to be gone to because money needs to to arrive to put food on the table. So my lens on this is certainly one of a lot of privilege. And I think that's important to name when we talk about being selfish, because yes, it is easier for me to say that it's not selfish because I'm not letting anyone down directly or really impacting anyone in any way, harmfully, or in any way. I'm really not impacting anyone in any way directly by the choices Mm -hmm. I make other than showing up with more aliveness, more generosity, more to give because I'm taking better care of myself. So to actually answer the question, I think when we prioritize our own needs, when we, I mean, to use that metaphor of like filling our cup first, we do have so much more available to give. We're not giving from a depleted place. We are showing up in our relationship with more presence. We are showing up for our children. Um, with more joy, right? We, all of these things happen. And so, to me, I see caring for ourselves deeply um, as being the opposite of selfish, mm-hmm. um as being really generous wherever we have the opportunity to do so, recognizing that that is not always possible. Even asking for people to meet our needs, I like to frame as a gift because, so often people around us want to know how to support us or want to know what we need. And we don't tell them that. And then we get more tired or we get resentful or whatever happens, happens. And things are really hard, probably for both people. Right. But when we can actually articulate like, hey, I'm, I'm really tired. I cannot do this today. Can you possibly do this? Or you know, whatever it might be. Um, we're actually like taking more responsibility. For our own needs by being clear with the people in our life about what we can and cannot do and what support we might need from them we give them an opportunity to support us in a way that actually will help the situation because they know what we need because we've told them and we also take responsibility by naming those unmet needs um, instead of just like letting them fester (laughs) i Mm -hmm. guess you know and build into something else So, yeah, I think it's really important that we turn this idea of selfishness on its head and go, actually, no, me taking care of myself and showing up in the world in these ways is really just me like taking responsibility for caring for myself so I can show up for whatever's most important in my
0: life. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways you're actually taking responsibility for yourself, period, because if you are depleted, then you can react in ways that are not very responsible, Mm -hmm. right? Because you've kind of lost the capacity (laughs) in some ways um, to be responsible for yourself. I don't know if you can fully like lose the capacity, but it's much harder for you to show up in integrity when you're depleted. Yes. You know, and then you might harm someone because of that. Yes. Versus if you're taking care of yourself and you're full, you're more likely to show up in a responsible way that is honest and generous with other people. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, one of the things I love about doing this podcast and doing interviews with people is just being able to like share the awesome work that other people are doing. So, mm-hmm. I'm curious if you have anyone whose work, who's felt especially supportive in this area that you want to give shout outs to.
1: Oh my gosh. So many people. I have so many like teachers, mentors who don't know they're my teachers and mentors. <laughs> um, I mean, I need to give a big shout out right now to Azalea Moen. She's my business coach and has been like holding me in a lot of the discomfort coming up around this. Um, she does incredible work, um, through her heaven of creativity, which you can check out if you're interested. um, Yeah, there's so many folks I've learned so much from. Uh, Becca Piastrelli, Barbara Arocina, Mara Glatzel does amazing work around like owning our own neediness. Um, And then there's like the heavy hitters that sort of the Brené Browns we've talked about, Elizabeth Gilbert and her sort of big magic approach to to fear. and Doyle is someone that's like hugely shifted things for me through her, through her books and and writing and now podcast. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Like so many people, which I love, like I love, I also love that we exist in this space where that part is important, right. Where we like credit our teachers and we talk about the people who've supported us and name them um, which isn't in and of itself, like shifting away from these systems of capitalism Mm -hmm. and colonialism just for like this is mine and these are my ideas and um by actually naming that like no these are not all my ideas I've learned this from a litany of incredible in most cases women um that's actually like radical in and of itself and then I also I'm just reflecting on the list I gave and recognizing that I think every single person I listed I think is is white Mm, so that's a problem you know Mm -hmm. and I can think of other names who aren't, but that's like the fact that my immediate teachers are all white and settlers to this land says something too, right? So this is like something we need to continue to keep examining and exploring and amazing that like, I can now say I learned from all these women, but what does it say that I'm not learning from people of color as much as I am white women?
0: Mm Yeah. Yeah. And that awareness is so the like, kind of like where we started, like having that awareness and that curiosity to, to question those things and figure out. Okay. What do I need to shift? Yeah. Is the start.
1: Yeah. And just like ever evolving, right. This isn't something there's no finish line here. Sorry, mm-hmm. folks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, It's just this constant, constant practice of of noticing, okay, what's like, what's the next layer I need to unravel? What's the next brave thing I need to do? What's the next step I need to take to be more in my integrity over and yeah. over and over again? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that word unravel. And that's the name of your punk podcast, right? Yeah. I use that word a lot. <laughs> what I love is everyone has like a different word that really resonates with them for this kind of idea of, Sort of like peeling apart the layers and looking at deeper inside, and like the inquiry and the practice. Um, so I love that. Yeah, it's a good it's word. Good
1: word. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's a word I learned from Susanna Conway. If we're crediting people, right? She uses the word unravel in some of her work. So, um, yeah, credit where it is due. That is not my word.
0: <laughs> awesome. Was there anything else that you feel like needs to be shared before we? close up? I don't
1: think so. I mean, I think the most important piece that I feel like we've already talked about so much is, um, the constant practice of, of compassion within this, because Mm -hmm. if we are to bloom bravely, it's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. We're sometimes going to completely flop and, or retreat to old patterns. And that Mm -hmm. is all okay right? That is all like part yeah. of it. And when we can just understand that there is no right way to do this work, there's no right way to be brave. There's no right way to step outside of these systems. There's that the idea of right and wrong in and of itself is part of the system. And we can yeah. just like be sort of in the amorphous bogginess of it all and like embrace the beauty in that and be compassionate for ourselves for not having it figured out not having the answers being flawed and imperfect on the journey. Um, that's where the magic happens. Right. Like, so just deep, deep, deep compassion for yourself in all of it. Yeah.
0: What a powerful way to end. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Kim. This has been a really beautiful conversation.
0: thank you for joining me in the garden of belonging. I'm so grateful you've chosen to spend your precious time with me. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like subscribe and tell friends about it. Your efforts support me in reaching more people. Be sure to also check the show notes for ways to connect further with me and my guests. Until next time, I'm wishing you trust in your inherent belonging.